so it's a blessing to, for you, Greg, to lead us and those that serve with him. Grateful that you all are here this morning, and I hope that you have a Bible with you, or maybe a Bible you can turn on or open up, and I hope that you will use that and join me in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and then also, hopefully when you came in, you got a copy of a bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes that if you want to use that during our time together in the Word, we're going to be using those. They should be behind me on the screen. If you just want to help keep notes and just kind of help follow along with where we are going at in the text. And so we have been walking through this letter of 2 Peter. We went through 1 Peter some time ago, and now we're coming back and going through 2 Peter. It's a long time ago, and it's hard to attribute it to just one person, but a preacher many, many years ago, talking about his sermon, he said that he does three things. He, he breaks his sermon up in three different parts. The first part, he said, was that he tells the people what he's going to tell them. The second part is, is that he tells them. Then the third part is, is that he tells them what he already told them. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that repetition can be helpful and annoying. And so the preacher says, in short, I tell them what I'm going to tell them. I tell them, and then I tell them what I told them. And it's that idea that you go back and forth and back and forth. Uh, some people would say in the field of rhetoric that Aristotle came up with that, but it was, a, it was a preacher, I assure you, some years ago that came up with this idea. When you get in front of the people, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So here in this passage this morning, I, I, it feels like that's what Peter is doing. The first few verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, all right, this is what I'm going to tell you. And then last week, if you weren't here in verses 3 down through verse 11, he told them. He, he gave them his message. And then this morning, we're going to be in verses 12 through verse 15. And really, what Peter is doing is going to say, let me tell you what I already told you. So if you listen to me this morning, you're like, man, that guy just keeps on repeating himself and repeating himself. I'm just following what the text is doing, and I'm just following the example that's given. And sometimes, in reality, some of us need to hear it more often than others. <laughs> some of us need to have that kind, gentle, repetition reminder. Because some of us, me chiefly, is harder to get the point than other times. So here in this passage, that's what Peter is going to do. Now, some of you, some of you, um, you weren't here this last week. And so some of you may say, well, I don't know what he told them. So let me do a, a short, hopefully brief recap. Here's what Peter did. Peter came in and there in verse three, and he wanted to remind all of the believers, all of the Christians that are there in the church that he is writing to, he wants to remind them that they have been given all things from God through Jesus Christ. So everything that they need to live a godly life, a faithful life, a life that is pleasing to God, God has already given them. God has given them through his spirit. God has given them through his word. God has given them through the model, the example, the teaching of Jesus Christ. So everything that they need to live a life pleasing to God, Peter says, you've been given. And it says that in verse three. He have been granted. You've been given all of these things. So he says, hey, because God has given you all these things through Christ, he's given you tools. He's given you the means, the methods to do this. And so there he starts talking about these virtues. He starts talking about these virtues that, that, that God has given them. And so he wants to remind them that, hey, these qualities, as Peter talks about it, these qualities, they are there to help you, to equip you, to give you the tools you need to live faithfully. And if you exercise and live according to those qualities, there's blessings and joy and peace of mind that will come. 
But if you neglect those qualities, then you're going to find yourself in a state of dysfunction, in a state of disorder, and in a state of confusion in your life. There's a lot of people in this world today that you and I could point to and say that not only are they dysfunctional, they're disorganized and they are confused. There's a lot of things that are going on right now in the, in the social system. They may call it questioning. That's the, the cue at a, at, at a very popular uh, string of letters. They would call it Q as in questioning. I put it not to be dis- demeaning or not to be rude, but I put a C because they are confused. They are confused about their creational order. They're confused on how God created man and woman. I'm going to get off on a tangent, but, he's, but it's that idea that we are living in a world where we have We have chosen sin and chosen the lies of this world, and then we find ourselves in a disordered, dysfunctional, complicated, confused scenario. And Peter would come back, and Peter would say the reason is is because you stopped practicing and pursuing the qualities of God, and you started pursuing the things of this world. You neglected the things that God had given you to prioritize a thing in this world, and then you wonder why confusion is what follows. So that's what Peter, in a nutshell, that's what Peter said last week through the text. He just said, God has given you these things. You neglect them to your own demise. So here Peter comes back in in verse 12, and he is going to follow up again. He told them when he was going to tell them. He told them, and now he's going to tell them what he already told them. Growing up, um, my, grandf- my grandmother, before she passed away, and once you got to driving age, you would go and you'd see grandma, and when you get ready to leave grandma's house, she would always say the same statement, drive safe because grandma cares. Now, she had told you that the last time you had saw her, she had told you that the last time you were there, but she wanted to continually make sure that you knew when you left her house to drive safe because grandma So here in this text, I'm going to read verse verse 12, sorry, all the way down through verse 15, just a few short verses. And let's back up and talk about why is Peter doing this and the goal that Peter has in doing this. And just look at some different ways that Peter presents us as far as wanting to help people understand who they are and what they have and what it means for their identity in Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, this is what the word of the Lord says. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I I, I think it right. As long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning, you might read this or might hear this read, and you're like, okay, so what's the point in that? Well, I think what is so significant about this is that Peter is coming in and Peter is saying, not only did I tell you, but now I want to tell you what I told you. I want you to understand the value in people, especially the people of God, continuing having the word of God taught, spoken, refreshed in their mind. So here in this text, there's three main actions that Peter models for us. There's three main steps that he takes. And the first one we see there in verse 12 is that is to remind. He says back up there in verse 12, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. He says one of the things that I'm going to do to try to keep the people of God focused on the things of God, focused on the kingdom of God, focused on the mission and the plan and the purpose of God, one of the things that I'm going to do is I am going to continually remind 
you. Sometimes we call it nagging. Sometimes we call it just being a pain in the neck. But it's one of those things that Peter says, I am willing to be called all the negative things you can imagine as long as you do not forget. Now, in order to remind them, you think about it, in order to remind them, that means that something had to have been previously said. And that's what Peter is alluding to. He's alluding to the previous verses where he told them, hey, this is who you are in Christ. This is what you have in Christ. This is what Christ has given you. This is the mercy and the grace of God, these qualities in your life. And so he points them back to things that already told them. He points them back to the past promises they've been given. If you let your eyes look back up to verse three, you see there in the text, and it may be different in your English translation, but in my English translation, it says his divine power has granted, has granted. It's a future thing, or it's, I'm sorry, it's a past thing. It points back to the past promise. It says God has promised this. He has granted this through Jesus Christ. It not only points to the past promises, but Peter also looks forward to the future promises. If you look down there in verse 11, he says, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you. So he's putting these two markers there to say that when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the precepts and the teachings of God, I want you to understand that we as God's people here right now, March of 2022, we have not only the past promises of God to equip us and teach us and lead us, but we have the future promises of God to equip us and lead us and teach us. What do you mean, Spence? The story's not over. Christian, the story is not over. Believer, the story is not over. Church, the story is not over. I realize that you may look at the news. You and I may look at the culture. You and I may think about the society and we may say, oh, well, it couldn't get any worse. Yes, it will. It can't get any more depraved. Yes, it can. Oh, will it ever gonna end? Oh, it's going to end. Maybe not the time that you and I know. It won't be the time that we expect. The Bible is very clear. It's not going to be on a moment that we expect or something that we think is going to happen, but it is going to end. And so Peter is wanting to remind them. He says, I, I intend always. Always means always. Always, 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 always. I'm always going to remind you of these qualities. He said, I want to make sure that if I am only known for one thing after I am gone is that I continually reminded you of who you are in Christ. Sometimes I feel like a broken record. And you might be thinking, well, you are. Sometimes I feel like a broken record because sometimes it's just the same thing over and over and over. Charles Spurgeon was one time quoted, the prince of preachers there in England, he was one time quoted as saying that when he gets up there, he reads the text and then makes a beeline for the cross. His idea was, is that everything in scripture should point back to the cross of Jesus Christ in one way or another. And so he said that every time he gets a chance to speak to people, he is going to talk about whatever the, the context of the scripture is. And then he is always and every time going to make a beeline for the cross. Some of you remember, some of you grew up in the era of Billy Graham. And when Billy Graham would get up there, even though he spoke to millions of people many, many times, there was always a simplicity in Billy Graham's message because Billy Graham understood it wasn't in his rhetoric. It wasn't in his illustrative speech. It wasn't in the things that he could tickle people's ears. He needed to say the right words to convict people's hearts. And sometimes as a church, we can gather together and just think, well, he just always talks about the same thing. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Well, let me ask you, what else should we talk about? 
When we come to church, what else should we discuss? What else should be on the mind? When we live in our daily lives, what else should it be? Like, like Greg is saying, when we wake up in the morning, what should be the first thing in our mind? I'm going to tell you, the world says it's your phone, your notifications, all of these things that try to vie for your attention. You need to get on the, you need to wake up and be worried about Ukraine. I'm going to tell you, God has a plan for Ukraine. God also has a plan for you, and God also has a plan for the lost people around you. And brothers and sisters, he says, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, I always say Paul, but I mean Peter. Just if I say Paul, I'm using them synonymously, Peter. Peter's concern and Peter's determination, Peter's devotion to say, I am always going to remind you. There should be something about it. When people come to church, they should hear about Jesus. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, in this world and age today, there's a lot of people that come to church and they hear a lot of things and they don't point back to Jesus. So Peter says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to remind you. So there's nothing wrong for you and I in our daily life to continually remind those around you. I realize that people like, like Jared, they get to the age where they, they get out of the house and they're, and they're in their college and they're like, mom and dad, you always say that. Mom and dad, you always say that. Mom and dad, you always say this. And then there's gonna time, come a time in your life and you don't believe me, brother, but I'm telling you, there's gonna come a time in your life that you miss hearing them say it. Because either the distance or the sorrow or whatever the case is, and you're going to miss hearing those people in your life continually speak truth into your life. And it sometimes it's just the very common phrases. Sometimes it's just the words that you've heard over and over again. I heard a preacher one time say that, he was talking about the death of his father, a sudden death of his father, and he said when he was struck with that death, he didn't. He, he was at a loss. Where should I turn? Where should I go? What should I think? What should I say? He said he was at a loss to do until he remembered what his father has always taught him. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And he said in that moment, it was his father's words that then gave him the instruction. It was not profound. It was very simple. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And he said in that moment, he didn't know whether he should get up or sit down, but he knew that he should pray. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we start to think we do not need to be reminded. Sometimes we start to think that other people do not need to be reminded. But Peter comes in and says, I intend always to remind you. So not only is he going to try the reminder factor, not is he going to come and he's going to say, you know what, I'm going to remind you, remind you, remind you, remind you, and remind you. Why? Because it helps reset the present. What you're thinking about, what you're talking about, so many of the distractions that come in. And I don't know about you, but sometimes this world has a way of getting my focus in a thousand different directions. And the next thing you know, I need something to reset my mind to get me back where it needs to be. A guy up in Claremore talks about this world, and he uses the military term, but he always talks about the world trying to come in through the ears and the eyes to capture the key terrain of the mind. And it's the idea that that is what the world is always trying to do, is trying to get us focused on a thousand different things that aren't on God. So he says, I am going to remind you. Then he gets into verse 13, and he takes it another direction. He says, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up. So not only is he going to remind them, but he's going to stir them up. You and I could go a lot of different directions when we talk about how to stir something up. I think, I think the most, I think the most spiritual idea would be like a snow globe. You take that snow globe and you turn it upside down, you do a little shaking and all those 
all, all those specks, all those, what they think is snow, whatever that is that's inside there, it gets all agitated up and you set that snow globe back down and all those things are just kind of settling to the bottom. But you, but you got that thing and you shook it and you got it stirred up and then you let it and sit there and settle. And so Peter is coming in and Peter understands, Peter understands that Christian people, church people have a way of getting spiritually lazy. I love you. We, we, we have a way of getting spiritually lazy. Someone else is going to take care of it. Someone else is going to do it. I don't have time for it. I've got too much going on. Well, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's some time for someone else to do something. I got my feelings hurt. I didn't feel like I was appreciated. I wasn't recognized. Whatever the thousand of excuses that we come up to. But the next thing you know, we start getting a little bit spiritually, maybe lazy is too hard of a word. Comfortable, complacent, content, apathetic. Peter says, what I'm going to do, it's not only I'm going to remind you, but I'm going to stir you up. You go back in the original language, and this word means to arouse, or it means to wake up. And it's not like him coming in and saying, oh, oh, sweet Christian, time to wake up. Oh, oh, sweet Christian, time to wake up. It's like he comes in, and he gets him by the shoulder. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Wake up! My dad, and I still have trauma over this. My dad would come into the house and he would come into the house and he would say the rooster crows in the morning. Cock-a-doodle doodle-doodle-doodle. What that was code word for get your seat out of the bed. It's time to cast a shadow. But he would come to the house. The rooster crows in the morning. Cock-a-doodle doodle-doodle-doodle. And he would do it in his yodeling voice annoying as all get out and he would just go through the house. The rooster crows in the mud. Over and over and over and over again. And sometimes you just think, I just want a little sleep. Peter comes in and he says, I understand spiritual saying that so many times this world has a way of lulling us to sleep. I want you to know that I am gonna stir you up. He says, I think as right, it is right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up. How is he going to stir them up? He is going to put an input in for desired output. He He's going to say that I know that if I get a hold of you and sometimes I challenge you, sometimes I exhort you, sometimes I encourage you, sometimes I love on you, whatever it is, I am going to put in the work because I want you to be on fire for the word of the Lord. I want you to be excited about the things of God. Now, sometimes this requires a little bit of agitation. Sometimes some of you don't want to wake up. Sometimes some of you don't want to be challenged. Sometimes some of you just want to be left alone because you're seeking the isolation that sin produces. Sometimes a preacher will say something, you go, can you imagine what he said to me? Years ago, and I don't know if they still do it, years ago, Bass Pro sold these little miniature boat oars. Wooden boat oars. And they are phenomenal. They are phenomenal for getting children's attention. I'm, I'm just telling you, you, some of you parents like, well, I, I use a two by four, I use a one by four. I'm gonna tell you, this thing is light. This thing has aerodynamic built into it. This thing has the, great, the greatest ergonomical handle you can imagine. And when this thing, just the perfect size of a young child's behind, when this thing, when this thing makes contact, makes contact, it is an attention getter. Right, Luke? It's an attention getter. So we have one at the house, obviously. I've got 
two or three of them hanging up there in the study. And so years ago, I had a young family, especially a young father, had a couple of children that were a challenge to say the least. And he comes in and he is just tired and he is just wore out. And he says, preacher, what do I do? What do I do about these kids? How do I handle these kids? And I walk over there. Can you imagine the brashness and the forwardness of me? I walk over there and I take one of those one of those attention getters, I take one of those attention getters and I hand it to him and I said, do I need to show you how to use this? In Jesus' love. <laughs> he got offended at me. Why? I can't treat my children that way. I, I can't do that to my children. They got offended at me because I dare <laughs> tell them that they should spank their children. That's fine. I'm going to stir it up. And I'm not going to stir it up for controversy, and I'm not going to stir it up to cause division. I'm not going to stir it up to cause you or I to be at odds. I'm not going to stir it up to be legalistic. I'm not going to stir it up just to get notoriety. I'm not going to stir it up just to try to offend people and just to see how shocking I can be. My name is not Howard Stern. But brothers and sisters, as the people of God and as representatives of the kingdom of God in this culture, if we're living faithfully before God, doing what God has called us to do, we're going to stir something up. We are going to stir something up and it is biblical to think about you and I coming together, understanding that throughout the week, our Christian lives, our spiritual direction has somewhat settled and we need to come in and we need to stir up one another. We need to encourage one another. That's what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 talk about. Not forsaking the assembly, but consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. He's the idea that we come together and not only are we ironing, sharpening iron, as John spoke about earlier, but we are coming in and we are making sure that we are encouraging one another, we're challenging one another, we're helping one another grow. Sometimes it comes to agitation, but every time it requires effort. It requires effort for you and I to show up to say, how can I be an encouragement? How can I stir it up? Now, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you have the gift of antagonizing. Uh, that's not what this is. This isn't you come up and try to get so-and-so mad at so-and-so and then you just walk off and watch them fight. You're not tying two cat's tails together and throwing them over the clothesline. What, you never did that? It's, it's biblical. But it's one of those things. <laughs> but it's one of those things that you have some people today that think that their whole purpose in life is to instigate to antagonize, to get people just fighting against one another. And I'm gonna tell you, sweet people, that the majority of the personalities that you see on social media, their whole goal is to bring about division. Their whole goal is to get one side not at the other side and to watch the two sides fight over misunderstandings and miscommunication. Peter comes in and says, I am going to stir you up. Yes, that is going to require effort. But the reason why he is doing that is because he has one purpose in mind. He has a concentrated purpose. You see there in verse 13, he says, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. He says, I know that there's going to come a day that I'm going to get my head chopped off. I know that there's going to come a day that I am no longer going to be alive. So why I'm here, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you stirred and then he finds with this last one. Verse 15, he says, and I will make every effort. So not only does he say, I'm gonna continue to remind you. He says, I'm gonna stir you up. And then he says, I'm not to quit. I'm not going 
to quit. He said, it doesn't matter how many times you've heard it. I'm going to tell you again. It doesn't matter how much I have encouraged you, how much I've tried to stir you up, how much I have tried to get you engaged. It doesn't matter about what all I've done. I'm not going to quit. We have too many Christians today that are too easily made to quit. You will go to the bar, not you, some, I, I, wouldn't, I shouldn't put it like that. People will go to the bar and they'll get in a fight on Friday night. They'll wake up Saturday morning and go, what do you want to do tonight? They'll go back to the bar. They'll go into the bar on a Friday night and they will have some type of disagreement and then Saturday night they go right back to the same bar. And yet in the Christian life, you have people that will come to church, they get their nose, they get their nose or their feelings out of order and then it's like, I'm not going back evers. Or let the people in the church keep them out of the church. There's not a perfect person in this church, including you. We are all one stage of a work in progress. And how sad it is whenever people allow other people to keep them from God. How sad it is when we get in a position that we let some other person have so much power and influence on us that they keep us from doing what God has called us to do. If you don't like them, don't sit next to them. Okay, we got more chairs. If it's one of those things that you say, well, you know what, I just didn't feel like I was being engaged. Some people get mad and they just quit. Peter says, I am going to make every effort. I'm going to make every effort. I am not going to quit. I am not going to stop doing what I have been called to do. Why, Peter? Why do you have such a devotion and a commitment and a resolve? He says that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He is saying that I am going to continue to remind you. I am going to stir you up and I am not going to quit because I want to make sure that when I'm gone, you have no question about what you are supposed to do. You leave them children home. You leave them children home and they are there at the house and you look at them and say, well, here's the rules. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And then you trust when you leave that they are doing what you told them to do. And then sometimes you come back home and they didn't do what you told them to do. It's back and forth, it's back and forth. Peter says, I know that I am going to be gone and I know that I'm no longer going to be on this earth to help lead, guide, and direct the people of God. So I want to make sure that not only do I remind you every chance I get, I want to stir you up so that you're just so stirred up that you can't settle. And then I do not want you to see from me a life that quits. So he says, I am going to make every effort. Make every effort. Does he talk about time off? No. Does he talk about burnout? No. Does he talk about a sabbatical? No. Does he talk about taking time for himself to focus on him? No. Does he talk about thinking about taking care of his emotions, himself, his love for him? No. He says, I will make every effort. Why is he making every effort for other people? And as long as the world can get you and I focused on yourself, then you won't be focused on other people. And as long as the world tries to get you focused on you, then you won't focus on him. And brothers and sisters, Peter is saying, I am not going to quit. One writer put it this way, and I put it there in your notes. One writer said, as if he was going to paraphrase Peter, he said that Peter was telling them that as much as I can, for as long as I can, so you can, 
when I can no longer. It's like Peter's looking at them and saying, these things that I'm doing, this spiritual work that I'm doing, this, this way of trying to remind you and trying to stir you up, these things that I'm doing to try to bring into remembrance, me, me telling you about these qualities, me preaching God's word to you, me trying to encourage you and support you and, and exhort you in the things of God. The reason why I am not going to quit is I'm going to do as much as I can for as long as I can so that you are equipped, you sweet people are able, you sweet saints of God have the knowledge and have the understanding so that when I I can no longer, you can continue. It's called discipleship. It's called this picture of teaching other people how to follow after God, teaching other people how to serve God, teaching other people how to grow in their faith before God. So he tells them, I'm going to remind you, I'm going to stir you up, and I'm not going to quit. And church, today, in this world that we're living in, we need more Peters to be willing to come in and to lock arms together, to put shields side by side, and to say, this is what we're going to do, not only for the sake of this church, but this is what we're going to do for the sake of our families and for the sake of our communities and for the sake of the kingdom of God. We're going to come in and we're going to keep reminding people Thus saith the word of the Lord. Truth is not relative. God's standards and God's doctrines are not up for adjustment. We are not going to change what is true based upon the popular opinion of this world. We are gonna come in and we will continually remind people that God has a standard, that God has given us his standard, and God will hold us accountable to his standard. And not only do we want to remind them, but we want to stir them up. We want to understand that this world is continually active. If Chevrolet can put 50,000 commercials on TV trying to get you and I to buy an overpriced, out-of-stock vehicle, then what's the church doing? What is the church doing? Why are we not out there in the community stirring people up? I'm not saying that we have to go out and start a clown show. I'm not saying that we have to go out and bait people into the church. But I'm asking you as a church, what are we doing to stir up a community, to expose the darkness, to expose the sin, to highlight the light of the word of God, and to point people to Jesus? We are there to stir people up. Well, you know, Spence, the only way people get stirred up today is from a cause or a crisis. So if we'd start a cause or a crisis, you know what, if we could just get a scandal going through the church and light that thing up on social media and boy, everybody will know, but they won't know about the right things. He says, I want to stir them up and not just that, but do not quit. Sometimes, sometimes you all leave on a Sunday morning afternoon, whatever it is. Place is empty. I shut the lights off because people don't understand the switch works both ways. I, I go through, then I shut the lights off. And I'm tired. Maybe some of you don't get tired. I, I'm tired. It's like I just want to go home and just... And sometimes, sometimes that has its place. There's nothing wrong with a spiritual nap. Spiritual naps are biblical. <laughs> It, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing. But don't let the nap turn into a hibernation. And sometimes we go home from church and we think, I've done my duty. I've done my job. I am done for the week. I can quit. And just because you and I came to church this morning doesn't mean that we're done for the rest of the week. It may be that we don't come back to church 
on Monday morning at 1045. We don't come back to church on Tuesday morning at 1045. That may not be what we do, but brothers and sisters, just because we came to church on Sunday morning at 1045 doesn't mean that we are spiritually over for the rest of the week. He says, do not quit. And that means Sunday afternoon, that means Monday morning, that means Wednesday evening, that means everything. We do not quit. So what are some good news? What is some good news that we can walk out of this door saying, okay, so Peter, Peter's doing this and Peter's telling, telling us all about this. So then Spence, what does this mean for us today? Well, there's three things that I want to see put you in front of you there when it talks about the good news. What is Peter pointing us to? I believe that Peter is pointing us to that God's word is still true. He says, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to stir you up. I am going to make every effort to not quit. What is he pointing to? He's pointing you back to God's word. He is saying God's word is still true. You mean it's relevant for my life? Absolutely. You mean it's sufficient for my life? Absolutely. You mean it has answers for my life? Absolutely. You mean that it has the, the, the source and the direction and all of the things that I need, the wisdom that I need to live a godly life? Absolutely. Absolutely, God's word is still true. And why do we have young people that know more about a screen than they do about the word? And then we wonder why our young people are leaving the church in the droves. Because they were taught more about that screen than they were about the word. They were allowed to spend more time with that screen than with the word. They were seeing it prioritized in their home that their families and their parents and the ones around them prioritized the screen more than the word. And Peter says it starts with the word of God. The word of God and the spirit of God are still true. Not just that, but not just that God's word is still true, but that God still forgives. In fact, if you looked in the preceding verses in verses 11 down through, or verses three down through 11, he reminds us that we have been given these qualities. We have been given this gift of salvation from God through Jesus Christ as a gift. And God is still in the forgiving business. See, sometimes the world has a way of getting you and I to think that we've gotten so far off the path that there is no going back. Or we think that we have done things that we can never be forgiven of. We think we have gotten to the point that God can't use us anymore. And church... There is not a hole that you can hide in that God cannot find you in. And there is not a place that you can put, you can behave yourself into that God can't forgive you out of. And there is not a place where God's grace and God's mercy does not extend. And Peter wants to remind them the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is even though that all of us have sinned and even though we have at one time or another turned away from God, rebelled against God, God still loved us. God still sent his son to die for us that died on that cross, was buried, rose from the grave, making it possible for you and I to be forgiven of our sins and God is still willing. God is still ready for us to repent of our sins, confess of our sins and he is still willing to forgive you and I. So you sit here and you're like, you know what? I've been a little bit spiritual lazy. Repent, confess, turn back to God and he still forgives. Why? This last one and I'm done because Jesus Christ is still the answer. What's the answer to our culture? Jesus Christ. What's the answer to our government? Jesus Christ. 
What's the answer to my family? Jesus Christ. What's the answer to my community? Jesus Christ. What's the answer to this church? Jesus Christ. What's the answer to my marriage? Jesus Christ. What's the answer to my workplace? Jesus Christ. What is the answer? Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, I really don't know how Jesus Christ is going to handle this. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews, has suffered the same way that all of us suffered and yet did not sin. He is the model. He is the example. He is the propitiation for our sins, the atonement for our sins. And when we look to him and we follow after him, it doesn't mean that our life is easy. It doesn't mean that our life is free from obstacles and hindrances. It means that we have the peace of knowing we're right where he wants us to be. And we get right with Jesus. That's the only person in this world that matters. I love each and every one of you. Some of you, I've, you've given me more time to love you than others, but I still. Some of you make it easier than others, but still. But I love each and every one of you. But you know, the reality is, is I could spend the rest of the day trying to please each and every single one of you individually. And every single one of you have different preferences. Every single one of you have different likes. Every single one of you have, have different tastes. And I could spend my time and I could go around and wear myself out trying to make sure that each and every single one of you is happy individually. But at the end of the day, I don't answer to you. I answer to God. So at the end of the day, my concern is more about am I pleasing to God and have I been faithful to God than rather did I make every single person's day. And brothers and sisters, when we wake up in the morning, sometimes we are more fixated on the opinion of man than we are on the, on the opinion of God. And I wonder how many times we need to wake up, as Greg talked about earlier, we need to wake up in the morning and the first person we're worried about in our day is what does God say about me? What does God think about me? What is, what is Christ's call for me today? And that's what I'm gonna wake up and do. Not the opinions of man, not the opinions of this world, the thoughts and the opinions of God. So where are you at this morning? Do you need a good reminder? Do you need to be stirred up? Or do you just need to recommit today not to quit on God? I don't know where you're at this morning. But not only has Peter told us what he's going to say, but Peter has told us, and then this morning, he has told us what he already told us. And sometimes we may hear the first time, sometimes it may take twice, and sometimes it may take three times. So where are you at today? What is God saying to your heart? Will you bow your heads with me?